you're right, Raph, it is wonderful to come and worship. And we come and worship an almighty God, the creator of the universe, who does things that we don't understand and he does things in, in, a, in, in a way that we wouldn't do it. Praise him. <laughs> and we can come and sit here together on a Sunday morning and we can worship him. What an incredible privilege. I remember when I was young, some friends of mine uh, didn't go to church very much and, and they would say, oh, you, you don't have to, be a, you don't have to be, um, go to church to be a Christian. That, that's exactly right. That is exactly right. But as a Christian, as a person who's been chosen by God to be his child, why wouldn't we come to worship him together? That's just the way I think. Why wouldn't we? Would you please open your Bibles to Romans chapter 9. Um. Just leave it at, at Romans chapter 9 and, uh, but I might just go back and read just a few things here from the end of Romans 8. <clears throat> what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written... For your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, verse 1 of 9, that was just a prelude. I speak the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience confirms it through the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart for I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my people, those of my own race, the people of Israel. Theirs is the adoption to sonship. Theirs the divine glory, the covenants, the receiving of the law, the temple worship and the promises. Theirs are the patriarchs and from them is traced the human ancestry of the Messiah who is God over all, forever praised. Amen. It is not as though God's word had failed for not all who are descendants from Israel are Israel nor because they are his descendants are all Abraham's children. On the contrary, it is, though, it, is though, oh, sorry, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. In other words, it is not the children by physical descent who are God's children, but it is the children of the promise who are regarded as Abraham's offspring. For, it is, for this 
was how the promise, promise was stated, at the appointed time I will return and Sarah will have a son. Not only that, but Rebecca's children were conceived at the same time by our father Isaac. Yet before the twins were born or had done anything good or bad in order that God's purpose in election might stand, not by works, but by him who calls, she was told, the older will serve the younger, just as it is written, Jacob I love, but Esau I hated. What then shall we say? Is God unjust? Not at all. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. It does not therefore depend on human desire or effort, but on God's mercy. For scripture says to Pharaoh, I raised you up for this very purpose, that I might display my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Therefore, God has mercy on whom he wants to have mercy and he hardens whom he wants to harden. One of you will say to me, then why does God still blame us? For who is able to resist his will? But who are you, a human being, to talk back to God? Shall what is formed say to the one who formed it, why did you make me like this? Does not the potter have the right to make out of the same lump of clay some pottery for special purposes and some for common use? What if God, although choosing to show his wrath and make his power known, bore with great patience the objects of his wrath, prepared for destruction? What if he did this to make the riches of his glory known to the objects of his mercy, whom he prepared in advance for glory? Even us, whom he also called, not only from the Jews but also from the Gentiles. As he says in Hosea, I will call them my people who are not my people. I will call her my beloved one who is not my loved one. And in the very place where it, is, it was said to them, you are not my people, there they will be called children of the living God. Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, Though the number of Israel, Israelites be like the sand of the sea, only the remnant will be saved. For the Lord will carry out his, his sentence on earth with speed and finality. It is just as Isaiah said previously, unless the, the, sorry, unless the Lord Almighty had left us descendants, we would have become like Sodom, we would have been like Gomorrah. It's a huge amount in that, isn't there? Wow. In our sermons on Sunday morning, we have not tried to delve into the depths of every verse. As Colin said, it would take us probably years to get through just the book of Romans like that. But we also have our small groups happening where, where we can look at these verses in a very different way. The way we've been looking at these on a Sunday morning is that God desiring relationship with us and also showing that life is actually all about God, not about you and me. Life is actually all about God and not about you and me. In this subject of election, 
We like election in certain areas, but we don't like it in other areas. And that's a common fact for most Christians. They like certain areas of election, but they don't like other areas. 35 years ago, I was in New Zealand and I was backpacking. I was a young boy and uh, you, you didn't even think I was 35 years old yet, did you? <laughs> I colour my hair grey just to get some respect. It doesn't work. The, but I was travelling, I think, and some of this is, is a bit hazy, there are certain things that are absolutely vivid. I think I was travelling from Queenstown to Milford Sound and then going across to Dunedin. Okay, we got that. Who's been to... You haven't even known what I said, got a question yet. You've been everywhere. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you've been everywhere. No, it only takes a half an hour. Um, who's been Milford Sound? Okay, narrow road and it may have changed in 35 years but it was a pretty ordinary road and you went through a, a, a one-lane tunnel. Does that still exist? Yeah. With the lights? Yeah. Okay. Leaving, I think, Queenstown. I was hitchhiking out on the road and a mini stopped. And, see, already you're laughing. A mini stopped. Where was I going to sit? There were two people in the front and there was my backpack and me in the back. And off we went. And they introduced themselves. They'd just got married and they were on their honeymoon. They'd rented a mini. Obviously, didn't have much money. It was really strange because as they were talking with one another, it was like they were chatting on their first date in getting to know one another, not a couple who were married. Anyway, we drove along and everything was quite pleasant and at one stage, and I can't remember whether we stopped somewhere to get fuel, I think that might have been the case, but that's hazy. But he asked her, names have gone well and truly, he asked the girl if she would like, his wife, if she would like to drive. Oh, yes. So she jumped in and drove. She may have been a lot of things in life, but she wasn't a driver. <laughs> and off we went. And, um, and we went up this narrow road and we went very fast. And you know the lights and there's red and there's yellow and there's green. I'd say most of you know what to do in those colours. Didn't have a clue. It was red and in we went at the same speed. There's not a lot of room in the back of a Mini and there were lights coming the other way of buses. And the lights went to high beam and the horns went. God's providence that day was that we were in a mini and not a galaxy because it was very narrow and somehow we got down between the buses and the wall. And we came out the other end and she was still completely oblivious to what was going on. And we went down into, Queen, into Milford Sound and we saw a few things and, and we came out. We didn't stay as long as I would have liked. And um, anyway, we came up and she continued to drive. But you see, this time, there was a line-up of cars. 
And I thought, oh, no worries. Red light, line up of cars. We'll have to stop. Not in your life. (laughs) Wrong side of the road, straight up, into the tunnel. Buttons, (laughs) horns, lights, fear. And through we go. I don't know why. We never discussed it and I'll tell you why. We went out on this road then and a dirt road, uh, lots of ups and downs and rounds, very fast, came up the top of this hill and there was a big dip going to go up the other way. She gained speed, knocked it out of gear into neutral. What do you reckon happened, Lee? (laughs) I'd like to show you a few scars. And the car started going like this. And over the edge we go. In God's providence, I am here today. Who was in control? Not her. (laughs) Not one little bit. I want to ask you a question. Would you rather go through life believing that someone is in control? Going through the highs of life but the depths of sorrow also. In your pain in your struggles with temptation, with the unknowns of health, would you rather believe that someone, even in all of that, was in control and had their hand on the controls? Or would you rather believe that we have a God who is there but stands back from the everyday life. So the things that you go through, whether sickness or great health, whether homelessness or a mansion, whether work or struggling to feed yourself day by day, whether Whatever in that circumstance, God isn't in control and he has no real interest except at the end. What would you rather? What would you rather? Or as most people know, I don't know about most people, but certainly lots of Christians that I know, like to pick the eyes out of both and to say, oh yeah, but but God wouldn't allow this. And God, okay, he allows that but he comes in and, and he walks the journey with us because in those things it actually makes us feel good and it makes us important and it brings some of the spotlight onto you and me because we can then understand it. But Paul here throws 
Not so much a spanner in the works but a broom handle into the spokes. And he says here that it is all about God. And we like the bits where God has got involved in our life to bring us salvation. We like the bits where God has got involved in our lives to deal with sin for us and give us a future. He writes chapter 9 almost as if he has had a series of questions asked of him and he seeks to answer them. It is only right that this section comes after chapter 8 and that's why I wrote at the end there, I read at the, read the, uh, the, the, the last part of chapter 8 that nothing can separate you and me from God's love and it's all because you and I are important and you and I have done wonderful things and wonderful works for God. Isn't that correct? No. (laughs) Terry, wake up. You know better than that. It is not. It is because God justifies and not you and me. Because you and I are not able to bring salvation to ourselves. And praise be to God that he is in control in every facet of our life. Whether we lose our arm to a shark, like that girl talked about this morning. And what did she say? That God has seen fit to bring glory to himself through me. And the scriptures time and time and time again through the Old Testament, speaks through the prophets and in Isaiah he says that I will do these things to bring glory to myself. God is the self-existent God. He needs nothing outside himself to exist. And in our earthly life, he will, by his promise, bring righteousness to himself. He will display his righteousness and his holiness will prevail. And when I say his holiness will prevail, I mean this, that in the sum of God's attributes is his holiness. The sum of God's attributes is his holiness. So how would you understand God's attributes such as forgiveness? If sin had not been allowed to come into the earth and destroy creation. And how would you Understand mercy if God was not able to be merciful to you. And how would you understand justification if God did not display justification? And if he did not display these things, then he could not fully show us his holiness.
We love the nice things but we like to attribute the things we don't like to evil. God is sovereign. God is self-existent. And God will display his righteousness throughout creation. Paul goes on then to talk this through and he looked at his own people, the Jews, and his heart poured out for them that they would have been like Abraham, their father, and had accepted God in his holiness through faith and had followed unconditionally. Does that mean that Abraham didn't fail? Not at all. Not at all. But he followed God faithfully. And here we see Paul saying, but these people, my people, theirs was the adoption to sonship, theirs was the divine glory, the covenant, the receiving of the claw. All of these things were theirs. But they have fallen away. They have fallen away. But God has continued to keep his remnant throughout all. And then he goes on to say, as if to answer another question, yes, but, yes, but, wouldn't God just envelop all? And he goes on to say that God chose Abraham, yes, but he also chose Jacob over Esau. The divine right, or sorry, the, uh, the cultural right would have been that Esau, from a human point of view, would have been the leader. But God saw differently and he chose Jacob and Esau he pushed aside. You know, when Abraham was asked to take Isaac up into the mountain and place him on an altar and sacrifice him to the Lord, as a parent, what would your heart have been saying? <coughs> no. Is that because of where we are in our relationship with God? Is that because we just think we know better in what God would ask for or not? And here's Isaac, whom Abraham and Sarah had waited for. The promise was on him. To, to, uh, to create a new nation, a nation under God. And there was Abraham who obediently took Isaac and he bound him and he placed him on the altar and he had a knife. Why was that? What sort of a hard, callous, horrible father was Abraham? Is that what you're thinking? Be honest. Or was it the fact that Abraham believed God and understood that God was the self-existent creator of the universe who had planned all of these things before he even created us. And he knew that this nation who had been promised through this boy would exist. But he also knew that it was God and not Abraham that was going to bring it into existence. 
He knew that there was nothing he could do as Abraham, a mere man, who could create a nation under God except be obedient. And he knew that whatever way God had planned to bring it into existence, then God would prevail. And it absolutely must be that way. I will have mercy on whom I have mercy and I will cast away whom I will cast away. Does that sound unjust to you? The potter, he goes on to say, has one piece of clay and he cuts it in half and with one he makes a beautiful statuette that goes up and is displayed in all its glory. A red rope is placed around it and people pay money to come and see it. Nobody's allowed to touch it except the person who goes in with a feather duster and people look in awe over it. But with that same piece of clay, he brings the other half back and he makes a plain jar that is to go into a busy kitchen and it gets knocked here and there, it gets dropped, it gets smashed and it's cast outside. Who has the right to do that? The potter. The potter. And what would you think of a God who took an innocent person and placed all the sin of the world upon that person and put that person on display to be beaten, humiliated, torn and twisted? A righteous God, an innocent person and yet all his wrath was passed out on that person. And then he was taken and he was nailed to some wood and he was stood up so that all could see in absolute agony, absolute agony. And he hung there in front of everybody, an innocent person. What sort of a God would do that? And as a spear was thrust in his side, the sky was darkened. And for three hours God poured out his wrath against sin upon that innocent person. What sort of a God does that? God's justice was on display. And throughout history God's mercy has been on display. And throughout history God's grace has been on display. Because Paul goes on there and tells us that this same God held back his fury against sin so that we wouldn't all be destroyed. If God wasn't in control, where would you and I be now? We love to pick the eyes out 
of what God may or may not do. But in the depths of sickness, God is not only there with the arm around the person, he is actively involved in the sickness and the suffering that his righteousness may be displayed. And Paul goes on to say, what right have we got to say, God, you can and cannot do this. For what influence on God did you have when it came to Christ? Or what way would you have done it as a father or mother? And what effect would that have had on creation? He goes on to say that we, we have no right to say because we are completely unable to do what Christ does. When we question his election, when we question his sovereignty, when we question the way that he has done things throughout history, what basis and foundation do we question him on? Your righteousness and mine? Your incredible intellect? Your understanding of history through to the future? Your ability to save whom you will save or the whole world? What is it? What basis and what foundation do you place that on? Nothing can separate me and you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Why? Because it is God that is sovereign. It is God that is involved in every aspect of our life. It is God who brings into effect his will. And if my future depended on me, then I would have no future. But your future depends on him. And through that sovereignty, through that grace, through that mercy, through that justification and his righteousness being on display to the whole world through the death of Christ, and then his burial, but then his resurrection, you and I have a future. Not because of anything that we have done, but of course of everything through his righteousness that he has done. Praise the Lord. Everything that he has done show his sovereignty and his righteousness reigns and the sum of all of his attributes that are displayed on this earth before us is his holiness and when we say that God is holy we accept the fact that he will do his will in his way in all of the earth through all of time 
So in that aspect today, in that respect today, if you have never accepted Jesus Christ as Saviour, then I would ask you to do it today. Because the fact is there is not a thing that you or I could do to bring it out our, our salvation. But Christ has done it all. And today I ask you, hold on to his sovereignty. Grab hold of his righteousness and allow him to apply it to you. That's what Paul was saying. Let's pray. Father, today I thank you. I thank you that you are an all-sufficient God and there is nothing that you need in this world. You do adore our worship but that is because you are worthy to be worshipped. And we come here today to do that. And in our worship we look at the scriptures and we see here from Paul of old explaining to us a little more of the character of yourself. And today, Father, as we look at this area of sovereignty and election, we accept, Father, that your ways are not our ways and your thoughts are not our thoughts and we praise you for that. For throughout history, we would have done things differently to the detriment of all who lived. But Father, today, you have chosen whom you have chosen and you have mercy on whom you have mercy but you reach out to all and you have paved the way through justification by the death of your dear son, Jesus. It is not the way we would have brought salvation to the world but I'm sure glad that you were in control and not me. And Father, today I pray that you would help us to continue to look at this book of Romans in our own time and see the richness of your righteousness, the richness of your sovereignty and the richness of your holiness displayed through this book. And Father, as we go our way, I pray that you would bless us in all the things that we do this week, that we would bring glory to you and that you would work out your will, your way through our life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.